they're eating at home, they're making their own meals, but they may still be gaining weight. So what's behind it? It's usually what's going into the food. Really look out for, you know, the first thing I do is say, look out for the caloric density. So foods that are high in fat, so oil, cut out the oil, uh, look out for nuts and seeds, which tend to have a really high caloric density. Even dried fruits, which are not necessarily high in fat. In fact, they may be fat free, but because they have no water, their caloric density can be high. And then look out for avocados and olives. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 64 of season four, number 259 overall. You know, weight gain during the pandemic is no joke, even though there is the joke about the so-called COVID-19, but it's a lot more than 19 pounds for a lot of people. Check this out. A study of more than 7,400 adults finds that on average, they gained a pound and a half per month, every month, during the first year and a half of the pandemic. Now you add that up during the 18 months of this study, and you're talking about 25 pounds. And that's a lot. You factor in that, a lot of them were already borderline overweight or trending toward obesity, and that weight gain then has the undesired effect of likely pushing them into those categories that they have been able to avoid before the pandemic. And of course, that also brings about the potential for a slew of undesired issues as well. Things like obesity and extra weight. They've been tied to high blood pressure and heart disease and diabetes and cancer, just to name a few. But the risk appears to be even greater still during the current pandemic, where doctors realized very early on that the higher a person's BMI was, the more at risk they were for contracting COVID-19, a severe case of it. And Dr. Neil Barnard explained why during a recent conversation. Fat cells are in many ways the entry point of the virus. You inhale the virus. It's looking for a sort of a molecular welcome mat, which is on the surface of the fat cell. The more body fat you have, the more you're throwing out this welcome mat. But there will be no unhealthy welcome mats on the show today, because today we are rolling out the red carpet for health. And we're trying to usher out those unwanted pounds and welcome in a healthier life. And to help us do that is a doctor who is very familiar with losing weight because she has been on a heck of a weight loss journey herself. Dr. Vanita Rahman is here with us to get us back on track and give us the best advice on losing those 25 pounds that a lot of us have gained. And I think that you'll find that even with cases now rising rapidly again and the potential for new lockdowns and restrictions looming, her advice will still be just what the doctor ordered. Thanks so very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Chuck. A pound and a half a month. That is a lot. And it seems like they are packing on the pounds very, very, very quickly. Uh, just a, a softball question to get us going here. I mean, how big of a problem is a pound and a half a month? What does that do to our health? Yeah, you know, it, it depends how long the weight gain continues. So if a pound and a half in one month and that lasts for a month, 
that may not have a big impact on one's health. But if that trend continues over a period of six to nine or 12 or 18 months, now we're talking about significant weight gain. And that can have a big impact on our health. It can raise our blood pressure. It can raise our blood sugar. It can raise our cholesterol levels, increases the risk for cancer, cardiovascular disease. So, so it's really quite serious with time. And here's, this is just my, my thoughts on why this might be happening. Right. And I think that there's a lot that goes into this pound and a half a month average. Right. So you have, uh, initially during the pandemic, major fears about going out of the house. Nobody really wanted to go to the grocery store. Right. You think back to, if you did the people who you were shopping with were in full hazmat gear. I saw some of them. Mm -hmm. And so what does that leave you with options wise? You've got delivery, you've got fast food, you've got takeout, all of which tend to have higher calories. And then even if you're at home, you're going to be craving those comfort foods, Dr. Ramon. And those too tend to be higher in fat and higher in calories as we just try to soothe the soul as all of this uncertainty swirls around us. And then of course, you're, you're in confinement, you're in lockdown, right? You're staying at home. So that generally, I would think would lead to less exercise, less movement. So more calories, less movement equals weight gain. Do you think that those are the big reasons why we're seeing such enormous increases in our waistlines right now? Yeah, that's exactly right, Chuck. You know, it's a combination of all of that. Are the amount most people weren't exercising enough as it is before the pandemic. And then with the pandemic, those numbers went down even more. Um, and exercise comes in all forms. It's not always just the structured exercise we think of, like going for a jog or a bike ride or to the gym. You know, when we work in an office building, we move around. We have to go from our desk to the restroom or to the water cooler. Um, we're getting steps in as we go see our colleagues. We're walking to our car or to the bus or to the train. Uh, all of that was gone. We're now suddenly within these four walls at home. And other things, like you mentioned, going to the grocery store where we would move. You have to circle up and down the aisle, get things. Those little movements add up. All of that left. Uh, an all-time favorite, going to a shopping mall. All of that ended. So everything that involved moving really came to a grinding halt. And then with food, it could go both ways. You know, if people are at home, we could say they could be eating better because they're now eating homemade meals uh, as opposed to commercial food. But it could also go the other way. Like you said, people may be turning to comfort food because it's a very stressful time and comfort food tends to not be as healthy, it tends to be higher in fat and sugar. And or people may be ordering more uh, carry out. And so it can go either way, depending on each person's situation. You know, it's funny that you bring up the higher calorie comfort food at home because there was a separate study that looked specifically at people living in the UK. And that found that early on in the pandemic, they were eating on average about 15% more calories every single day. And as the pandemic drew on, that decreased a little bit somewhere, I think on average right now in the 10% ballpark. But where did those calories come from? Well, 90% of the time. It wasn't from fast food. It wasn't from takeout. It wasn't from delivery. It was from those ingredients that people were either buying at the store or having them delivered to the house so that they could make those comfort foods at home. 90% of the caloric increase was from foods that people were making at home. 
Does that number surprise you? I, to me, that seems like that is way higher than I would suspect. It is high and it is concerning. You know, I, when we think of home cooked food, we ideally want to think of healthy meals that nourish us. But yeah, we can just as easily make meals that aren't as nourishing, that may be higher in fat, sugar, sodium. And so that can quickly lead to weight gain. But back home here in the U.S., we live, obviously, Dr. Rahman, in a fast food nation. So let's talk about the other 10% here, right? Let's talk about the people who have been turning to the drive-through for sustenance during the pandemic, right? So we live in a country that celebrates things like double whoppers, right? We have an extreme love of the double whopper, the triple beef burrito, the stuffed crust pizza, the nacho cheese fries, all of those things. And so even though those fall under the comfort food category. We're turning to them to feel better. What do we know about what these foods actually do to us in terms of not just our health for cardiovascular disease, heart disease, things like that, but God forbid somebody becomes infected with COVID-19. What do they do in terms of their risk of how severe of a case that could turn into? Yeah. You know, it's, it's somewhat of an indirect connection, but it's real. So these commercial meals tend their goal is not really health or nutrition the goal with commercial meals is really to increase sales and the best way to increase sales is to increase the amount of salt sugar and fat in the food because those are the flavors that draw people in and every time we add more fat every time we add more sugar we increase the caloric density this leads to weight gain and with weight gain, we start to see prediabetes, diabetes, high blood pressure. Uh, and we know that these are well-established risk factors for complications from COVID. So the food leads to weight gain. The weight gain leads to prediabetes, diabetes, or high blood pressure, which then increase the risk for complications. All right, let's go ahead now and start taking some questions. Are you ready for that? Why don't we go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag? All right. Well, the first question today, Dr. Rahman, comes to us from Barbara. She writes, I actually gained closer to five pounds a month over the last year, and I want to take it off ASAP. How much should I be trying to lose each week is more than two pounds too fast? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, Barbara, sorry that you went through that experience. Um, and it's great that you're trying to get control back of your health. Now, how much weight loss is the right amount? Well, it depends. Uh, in most research studies, you know, we consider about one to two pounds a week to be a healthy amount of weight loss. Now, some people may experience more, some may experience less. Uh, the more weight someone has to lose, the faster they may lose it initially, and then it may start to slow down. The less weight someone has, uh, the less they'll lose initially, and then they'll plateau out. Uh, the other piece of this is how is that weight loss happening? If it's happening because someone is eating uh, nourishing foods, um, feeling good, getting exercise, getting sleep, then even if it's more than that two pounds, that's fine. But if someone is doing a, a fad diet or maybe going into starvation mode, then even a one pound weight loss may not be healthy. So it just we want to make sure we're doing it in a healthful way. And then roughly one to two pounds, maybe more for some, maybe a little bit less for others. And she actually has what I think is a pretty good follow-up here. Are you more likely to keep the weight off if you lose it slowly? 
Yeah, so there is that thought that, you know, if it's slower, you may keep it off more. Uh, the idea being there that you're changing your habits gradually and they're becoming a part of your lifestyle. But again, I would go back to how what is behind the weight loss. If the if it's healthy food, um, healthy exercise habits, good sleep, good energy level, then that's much more likely to be sustainable as opposed to something that's an extreme or fad way of eating, uh, which may not be sustainable. Here's a great question from Elizabeth. She clearly is among those 90%. Uh, she writes, I actually stopped eating fast food during the pandemic, but still gained weight. How can I modify my comfort foods to make them healthier, but still taste good? I would love for my family to still eat them. Yeah, you know, I think you're asking something that many people feel is they're eating at home, they're making their own meals, but they may still be gaining weight. So what's behind it? It's usually what's going into the food. Uh, so really look out for, you know, the first thing I do is say, look out for the caloric density. So foods that are high in fat. So oil, cut out the oil, uh, look out for nuts and seeds, which tend to have a really high caloric density. Uh, even dried fruits, which are not necessarily high in fat. In fact, they may be fat free, but because they have no water, their caloric density can be high. And then look out for avocados and olives. And, and of course, if you're consuming any animal products, then consider swapping them out for lower fat uh, vegan versions. Oh, man, if that doesn't segue perfectly into our next questions here in the mailbag, Nancy has a great one. She apparently is a peanut butter aholic. She would like to know what is the healthiest or lowest fat nut butter that she could get? Yeah, you know, you're not alone in that. A lot of people uh, love nut butters and they can get addictive quickly. So the issue with all nuts is to know that um, they have no water in them. They're dry. They're small little packages. So they're full of calories and they're usually about 70 to 80 percent fat in calories. Now, which one has the least fat? They're all pretty high in fat, whether it's almonds or cashews or walnuts or peanuts. If you are looking for a lower fat alternative, you can get powdered peanuts uh, and then you mix water with them and make your own peanut butter. The reason they're lower in fat is they've been defatted. So some of the fat has been removed. So they are generally lower in fat you know, maybe about 30 to 40% fat as opposed to 70% fat, but they're still, they still have 30 to 40% fat. Um, and some may have added sugar, but they could be a healthier option than the traditional peanut butter. I'm glad that you brought up the added sugar thing, because that's something that I've looked at as far as uh, I'll, na I'll name drop the brand PB2, uh, added sugar in there. Why is it that that is added? I, I think that peanuts by themselves have great flavor. Mm -hmm. And if you add that sugar to it, uh, wouldn't that kind of make a person crave it a little bit more? Well, and that may be why it's added to it. <laughs> 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 okay. Here's a question from uh, Joe. Oh, Joe. All right. So you mentioned avocados just a minute ago. How many avocados can I eat in a week without gaining weight? These have been my vice since I went vegan. 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, again, you're not alone in this. Uh, avocados, rich, creamy, they give food a very uh, nice texture, but they are really high in fat. Like nuts, they're about 70% calories from fat. So if you're trying to lose weight or keep the weight off, it's really important to uh, be mindful of how much you're eating. If you're trying to lose weight, I say no more than an eighth of an avocado a day, which sounds like a really small amount. It's about two tablespoons a day, but you'd be amazed how far two tablespoons of avocado can go. Two tablespoons. That doesn't sound like a lot, but I, I can see it. And I think that David here is probably going to uh, key in on those two tablespoons because David is wondering whether guacamole or hummus is the better option if you're trying to lose weight. So it depends uh, how that hummus is made. Now, hummus is made from chickpeas, but if you're buying commercial hummus, it may have a fair amount of added fat in the form of tahini, which is sesame seed puree. And sesame seeds are also high in fat, like most seeds. And then commercial hummus may also contain olive oil in it. So, you know, it's not uncommon to find a commercial hummus that's about 50 to 70% calories in fat, which now we're getting pretty close to what's in the avocado. Now, however, you could buy lower fat hummus or you could make your own hummus at home without adding any oil to it and minimizing the amount of tahini. And then you're going to have a much lower fat version. So if you're having homemade hummus with a small amount of tahini, no oil, that's going to be the best option. Yeah, I'm a big fan of hummus. I mean, I will eat that typically twice a day. Uh, I mean, carrots and hummus, roasted bread. I think that that's fantastic. One of the brands that I like a lot is Kava. And I will actually tweet out the recipe that uh, their head chef released in an interview a few years ago for their regular hummus. Uh, does not have any added oil to it. And then you can obviously modify the amount of tahini, as you just said, Dr. Rahman. And uh, and you can even add, uh, here's what, what, what works for me, because I like a little zest with my hummus. Mm -hmm. You can even add a little bit more uh, uh, lemon juice in there. Uh, and, and that'll still give you that little bit of a, a, a twang to it. I don't know if that's the technical culinary term, a twang, uh, but it still turns out pretty good. Are, are you a hummus fan? Oh, am I? I love hummus. <laughs> I, I love chickpeas. I joke I could have like a whole meal with chickpeas and uh, appetizer, entree, and dessert. Um, but you know what else is fun with hummus is to throw other things in there like cilantro or roasted red pepper or roasted beets. And then you're getting some veggies and herbs in there too, um, which also dilutes out the fat content. Oh, don't sleep on that roasted red pepper hummus. <laughs> yes, ma'am, please. Can I have another? Uh, okay, let's uh, switch gears here. We talked a lot about food. Let's talk about getting the body moving. Here's a question from Linda. With COVID cases surging again, I'm hesitant to go back to the gym. What are some ways to get a decent workout at home or at least one that is not around a lot of people? Yeah, it's a good question, Linda. And I think a lot of people are concerned about returning to the gym, but there are so many things you can do. Uh, one of my favorites, go for a hike or go for a walk. You can do that in your neighborhood. You can do it on a trail. You can do it through the city. You don't need any equipment except a pair of good, comfortable sneakers. So that is a good option. Your exposure to people is minimum. Your risk of acquiring an infection is 
pretty much non-existent when you're walking outside, um, especially if it's not a crowded space. Uh, so that's a good option. The other things is you can do things around the house that are ways to be productive and take care of household things while still getting good exercise. So gardening is a good option, um, mowing the lawn, picking those weeds, you know, that will tire you out. Or um, doing household chores, vacuuming, mopping, um, dusting, all these things are physical activities that you can do. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, if you're not so crazy about dusting your house or vacuuming, you can put on, uh, you know, a video um, on YouTube or another free app and watch dancing or home aerobics or even yoga or Pilates. So lots of good options now to do online workouts from the comfort of your own home. Who doesn't get excited about dusting? I mean, <laughs> come on. That's my reason for getting up in the morning. Um, but seriously, though, ab about mowing the lawn, there is a lot to that. I actually uh, had fun with a pedometer uh, putting that on while I was mowing the lawn the other week. And it, it was more than 10,000 steps. And if your goal is to get 10,000 steps in a single day, well, you just spent two hours cutting the grass, man, and, and you've knocked that out. And that's no joke. Um, and there are a few hills around uh, in my yard as well. So it is quite the workout. Uh, don't don't knock mowing the lawn. I think that you'll probably burn more. You could tell me you're the doctor. You burn more calories cutting grass than you would dusting, right? Definitely. You're pushing this heavy piece of machinery. There's a bigger distance you're covering. So definitely. All right. Back to the food questions. Oh, this is a good one from Dot. My goodness gracious. Which snacks are least likely to cause cravings? Ah, so let's, the way we answer that is first, what causes cravings? You know, what is in food that leads to cravings? Um, and it's three things, okay? Uh, and most of you may know this, it's salt, sugar, and fat. So uh, this is why we crave candy bars, because it's a perfect storm, you know, of high sugar, high fat, and some of them even have that salted caramel. You know what I'm talking about? So now they've put salt in there. So they've really got us hooked. So look for low fat, low sugar, low sodium snacks. So like what you just mentioned, Chuck, like carrots and hummus uh, or toasted pita with hummus is a great option. Or if you're craving something sweet, try a frozen fruit blend that you can make at home, um, like a banana and ice cream, which is low fat, no added sugar, and it can be so nourishing and satisfying. Oh, boy. We have touched on something here, Dr. Rahman. Doug, immediately jumping in, wants to know, is sugar, salt, or fat the most addictive? Yeah, so where do I begin? They're all addictive. <laughs> and in fact, the, the food industry knows this. So they actually have food scientists who work in these food labs and they figure out you know if we add a little bit of sugar we like our food if we add more we like it more but if we add too much then we don't like it so they try to find that sweet point where there's the most sugar so we are more likely to go back for it uh, and same thing with salt no salt we may not like it but too much salt we don't like it either so there's that spot right where they'd like us um, now here's the thing about fat is there is no maximum. The more fat we add to a food, the more we like it. So uh, the food industry knows that. And all three of them are fairly addictive. 
They really are. They are mad scientists in the kitchen. And I think it's no surprise that I got hooked on Taco Bell the way that I did, because you think about all of the salt that's in there, all of the fat that's in there. And then what I didn't realize, honestly, until I started doing the exam room and getting the opportunity to work with you and all of our colleagues, these other wonderful doctors and dietitians, is that they have snuck a ton of sugar into these foods too. Even if you bite into them and it doesn't taste sweet to you, that doesn't mean that that sugar isn't there too. Do you think that the brain can pick up on that even if you bite into it and, and you don't sense that sweet right away? I, I do, you know, and, and there's added sugar in tortillas. Um, there could be added sugar in the sauces. Um, and if you want to try and experiment, you know, try, try making um, some of these sauces or breads at home without added sugar and it doesn't taste quite the same. So I think our taste buds can tell. They're very sensitive. Indeed, they are. All right, question from Olivia. Okay, I know she's not the only one wondering <laughs> this. How long does it take for those cravings to stop? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it a year? Yeah, you know, really good question. First of all, it's important to understand that we can overcome these cravings, okay? Um, but it takes time for our taste buds to adjust. So usually about two to three weeks is what it takes for these cravings to stop. But the key is to be persistent. So let's say we have a high fat meal today. We're going to want it again and again. But if we keep having uh, lower fat meals for the next two weeks, we won't crave them anymore. However, if in the middle of those two weeks we reintroduce the high fat meals, then we reset our taste and then we need to start all over again. So persistence is the key. Um, a good two to three weeks of sticking with it, and you should notice the cravings go down significantly. Here's the really interesting thing to me, though, and I've spoken with a number of people who have this exact same experience. It's like you cut these foods, for those who have been significantly overweight, I should clarify, uh, for those who have lost the weight, they've cut these foods out of their life. From time to time, even years later, they'll still get this fleeting craving for the things that they used to eat. And I find that so weird. And I can only liken that to an ex-smoker who will tell you that they haven't had a smoke for 10 years and still just out of the blue from time to time, they'll get these cravings. Again, that just goes back to me, Dr. Rahman, like the brain is such a fascinating thing and it just, it retains these, these memories and, and I guess these feelings of pleasure for so long, you know, I think that the cravings subside obviously over time, but it's just fascinating to me that we can still have these cravings for these unhealthy foods years after they've been taken off of our menu. Yeah, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because we want people to know that, you know, just like you said, just like when people quit smoking, um, they may do a, they may be doing great and then suddenly they have a craving. And usually the reason for that is there's been a trigger, you know, uh, maybe it's a social situation where they used to smoke. Or maybe it's been a stressful situation where they would reach for a cigarette. So it's important to know that there may be triggers and plan for them. So the same can go for food. You know, someone may be very comfortable eating a low-fat, healthy diet, and then suddenly they're at a social situation where there are all these high-fat foods. And now it's right there in front of us, which gets back to something I truly believe in, which is, it's much easier to change our food environment than our cravings. You know, cravings are feelings. We cannot control our feelings, but I can control what's around me. Um, so preparing for that, having an action plan can go a long way.
That's profound. Cravings are feelings. And that is spot on. That is spot on. I would, I would venture to say that at least again, in my experience, and that's all I can talk from is the majority of those cravings come from when I'm watching a game and a commercial for Taco Bell will pop up on the screen and I'll see that, you know, like nacho cheese fries. I'll be like, dang, oh, that sounds pretty good right about now. And just like, no, it doesn't like what's going on. So that trigger that you're talking about, that is a, that is a real, real thing, Dr. Rahman. Uh, let's move on here. All right. Now, this is one that I think a lot of people are also going to be curious about. You guys are sending in some amazing questions today. Here's one from Kim. Other than fruit, what is a healthy sweet treat or dessert? Ah, so there are many options. Uh, so fruits are sort of nature's perfect dessert. It's prepackaged, ready to go. But, you know, after a while, you want something else. So remember I was saying I could have a whole meal with chickpeas. Try chickpea blondies. Um, you know, they're much lower in fat. We're getting the goodness of chickpeas in there. And they make a pretty good dessert. Um, similarly, you could do black bean brownies. So a way to put legumes into dessert. Um, and then similarly, you know, anytime you bake your own baked goods at home, you can control how much fat is in it. You can reduce the amount of sugar. You can use whole grains. So all of that is going to be much healthier for us, lead to far fewer cravings than say commercially prepared desserts. All right, let's switch gears here and uh, do something a little bit more. I, I don't know, I would call this one scientific. <laughs> a question from Stephanie here. She wants to know, how does being overweight affect the immune system? Is it actually being overweight or is it the fact that your diet probably isn't getting you the nutrients that you need to stay healthy? Yeah, that, you know, that is a really important question that we don't fully know. Uh, you know, we have learned with the pandemic that obesity is a risk factor for COVID complications and death. But even before COVID, we knew this for the influenza, uh, you know, epidemic that would happen every year. Uh, we would have people who are obese that are at much higher risk. So what is it about obesity that compromises our immune system? Is it the inflammation in the body? Is it uh, just throwing off the immune system? Is it that it's increasing the risk for those comorbidities that increase the risk? Is it that um, the food that we may be eating is compromising? We don't know. And it may be a combination, but we do know that it's really important to eat well and maintain a healthy weight. Uh, this question from Brian is another good... I'm telling you, you guys are like 10 out of 10 today with these questions. Uh, Brian wants to know, does sugar by itself cause you to gain weight or is it everything that typically comes with the sugar? So if you look at sugar, sugar is just empty calories. You know, a teaspoon of sugar is just calories. There's nothing nutritious in there. Having said that, most of us are not going around eating spoonfuls of sugar. Um, <laughs> we are consuming it and in some form so usually sugar sweetened beverages like soda or fruit juice and you know a soda may have 20 to 30 teaspoons of sugar in it um, so it just depends on the serving size and that's a lot of calories but in beverages it's usually just sugar water that's what we're looking at but now when we get to baked goods that's when other things are getting added. Like a cookie is not just sugar. There may be butter in it. There may be oil in it. Um, there may be 
other ingredients that are contributing to fat, like refined gain, grains or chocolate or um, dried fruit. So it's really, it's a combination of everything that's going in it that becomes additive. Um, so it's not the sugar per se, because that's not what we're consuming. And I'm not saying we should just consume spoons full of sugar, but um, it is important to appreciate that link. So that's a good question. We have a good question here from Ashley as well. She said that she recently began tracking, uh, doing food journal in an app. She wants to know, I know that fiber is big for weight loss, but are there some other nutrients that I should be really keying in on? Yeah. So, um, the way to look at it is you're right. Fiber is important for weight loss, but think about where fiber comes from. So we want to eat high fiber foods and where there's plenty of fiber is in plants. So it's fruits, vegetables, uh, legumes, and whole grains. So we want to consume those. And when we consume those, not only do we get whole, uh, the goodness of fiber, but we're getting other nutrients like vitamin C and fruits and vegetables. We may be getting iron. We may be getting calcium. Uh, we may be getting um, a lot of protein. So fiber sort of becomes a surrogate for how healthful a food is. And generally speaking, high fiber foods just tend to have a very healthy profile altogether. All right, let's take two more here as we wrap things up here. Appreciate your time, Dr. Rahman. Here's a question from Tim. Oh, Timmy, good question. Are there healthier fast food options or should we avoid the drive-through altogether? Yeah, I think it is possible. You know, um, it's really important to appreciate that just because it's fast food doesn't mean it's unhealthy. And just because it's a fancy restaurant doesn't mean the food is healthy. What really matters is what's in that food that we're eating. So one of my favorites is Subway. It's so easy. Uh, it's not a drive-through usually, but it's quick. Uh, you can get a whole grain bread. You can pile it up with vegetables. They have some vegan dressings there like a vinaigrette, mustard, salt, and pepper. And you have this amazing sandwich that's really flavorful um, and full of nutritious ingredients. Uh, there are other places like Chipotle, Panera, where you can get, uh, you know, lower fat, whole grain, um, plant-based meals easily. So it is possible to eat well while getting fast food. All right. And our final question comes to us from Abigail, kind of at the heart of what it was we were talking about all today. She wants to know, what is the best way to make sure that I can change my eating habits for good? I've been doing horribly throughout the pandemic. I'm sorry to hear that you've been going through that, Abigail. Um, you know, and I think you're not alone in that. A lot of people have been struggling. Uh, so one thing is really remembering to eat a low-fat plant-based diet. And I think many people know that, but they don't know how to do it. They know what to do, but they just don't know how to do it, how to stay with it. And that's where, you know, I think exploring some of our group programs can really help because you realize there's a whole community out there that can support you and help you through this so you're not alone. So getting that support is really key especially if you're not able to find it locally with your family or friends. Um, you know, we have some terrific programs coming up that could really help you with that. 
Yeah, let's talk about that because it's an online program that you have developed, this weight loss series that's absolutely fantastic. And uh, even though you aren't meeting in person, you are getting together as a group virtually. And I do believe that the studies show that when you do work together in, uh, in group settings for weight loss, you tend to do a little bit better. Isn't that right? Yeah, definitely. So this is a terrific program. We have a 12-week program. We meet every Saturday for 75 minutes. And, you know, we set, uh, we go through a new nutrition topic. We explore challenges and successes that we've experienced. And um, if someone is struggling, then we tackle it as a group. And similarly, if someone's had a success, we share it as a group uh, and, and we celebrate it. And then we learn from it. So the idea is to support each other, learn from each other. And, and what people find is that connection is so important. That not feeling alone um, is so empowering, thinking that, okay, you know, next week I'm gonna meet this group again and I wanna have something really positive to share, so I'm gonna stay the course this week. And that's, that's a really powerful way to change things. It is cool. And I remember when I was uh, going through the weight loss process, meeting with this group every single week, and um, I actually became kind of competitive about, you know, how, mm -hmm. how well could I do compared to everyone else in the room? Like I wanted to step up. I wanted to be that leader for other people. You know, I wanted to set that bar and see that, you know, one, how far could I push myself to go in a healthier direction? But two, you know, by doing so, can I pull people along a little bit further than they would be able to go on their own? And sure enough, I mean, it just became this big old inspirational game of one-upsmanship in the healthiest way possible. Yeah. And, you know, and that's right. I mean, I think having that kind of you know friendly rivalry can help having that kind of support can help and just having a place to go to so if someone's had a tough week knowing that they don't have to deal with it on their own there's a group they can go to and bring up their struggles and we are there for them we can help them we can support them through it it's really important and I believe that the uh, next weight loss series begins on September 11th and registration is now open at pcrm.org. And we'll include a link to that in the show description and in the episode notes as well, if you're listening to this podcast. So I cannot recommend that group enough. I know that uh, this is the, maybe the fourth or fifth time that you've done it and you've seen some incredible successes already with people who have participated. Yeah, you know, we, we have such a good group of people and we've had some people come multiple times because they just like that support. They like that camaraderie and it's, it's always so wonderful to meet and we become like this family that meets every Saturday and then it's always bittersweet when it comes to an end because we're celebrating what we've accomplished, but we also know that, you know, our journey together may be ending um, for now at least. But if you're the solo flying kind of person, that's not a problem either, because I know, Dr. Rahman, you and everyone at the Barnard Medical Center would be more than happy to help people get their health in check there as well, working with them one on one. And to schedule an appointment with you or Lee Crosby, the dietitian, or Dr. Loomis, uh, Dr. Jazz, everybody up there at the BMC doing just tremendous work, people can log on to barnardmedical.org. Or if you're into calling people, pick up the phone, 202 5 
800-525-2770-5500. You see the contact information right there on your screen. And uh, I know you've had the opportunity also to work with people one-on-one -on -one as well. And uh, some people, I guess they do respond a little bit better when they're working more intimately just with their doctor. Yeah, definitely. You know, some people um, work one-on-one -on -one with me. Some people love the group. Some people do a combination. It's really, you know, what works best for everybody. And if there's been any silver lining in this pandemic, it's that we've discovered the power of technology in providing healthcare. And telehealth visits uh, were so rare before the pandemic. Now they're common and they're a great way to connect with us, uh, you know, I see people from New York, California, Pennsylvania, and it's it's really amazing. It feels very real, just like you and I are talking today, and we can get a lot of good work done that way. That's so cool. 202-527-7500 or barnardmedical.org. And yes, in case you were wondering, insurance is accepted. Log on to that website and get a full list of states where services are available. Dr. Vanita Rahman, thank you so very much for your time today. This has just been a real treat. And uh, I think that not only have you educated people, you've helped us raise our health IQ, but I think that a lot of what we covered today was also inspirational for those who have been packing on that pound and a half a month during this pandemic to know that, okay, you can stop this unhealthy trend and you can put your weight gain in reverse and get back on that healthier track to a healthier future. So thank you so very much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Chuck. And, and thank you to our listeners for your terrific questions. Um, you're bringing up some really good questions and points that I think we can all benefit from. Let me go ahead and double down on what it was Dr. Rahman was saying about exercise during our conversation. You know, the gym can be such a major stumbling block for us as we start to lose weight. Now, whether that is because of a lack of confidence or overcommitting and burning out or just not wanting to be around others during the pandemic. The fact of the matter is that dusting and cutting grass and really any chore can burn calories just as she said. But there really is no shame in just going for a walk. That is a habit that you can establish every single day without the risk of burning out. Even at your lowest point, consider this. When I was at my heaviest, I could barely walk across the street. But that's where I started. I would go across the street, I would sit down for about 15 minutes and then walk back to my desk during lunch. Eventually, I was able to walk around the block. And then one block became two and two became three. And then eventually, I was walking one mile. But I got so motivated and I was feeling so much better that my commitment then extended from just one mile to five miles every single day on my lunch break. And I even worked it out with my boss so that I could make up that extra time that I was taking during lunch to get in those five miles at the end of the day so I still wouldn't have to worry about exercising or going to the gym after work when I was already tired. It's about establishing habits that you can keep. What works for you? If walking is key, and you can do that during your lunch break, that may be just the ticket. One more thing to pass along today. And for that, we're going to head to the exam room news desk for a check on health headlines.
There's new data showing that a plant-centered diet can help to prevent cardiovascular disease. A long-term study of nearly 5,000 adults shows that those whose diets frequently included nutritionally rich plant foods but did not include a lot of high-fat meats had a 52% less chance of developing heart disease. And the risk dropped even further as they got older. Researchers say that the risk plummeted by 61% through middle age. The findings are published in the Journal of the American Heart Association. Now, this study began all the way back in 1985, and all of the participants at that time were between the ages of 18 and 30. And researchers tracked them all the way up until 2018. So we're talking about 32 years of data here. And their diets were rated using what is known as the Priori Diet Quality Score. And that is a rating system that essentially assigns a higher value for a more nutritionally rich plant food and a lower value for fatty, less nutritionally dense food. And to be clear, some of the unhealthier plant foods were also included in that category that they called adversely related foods. So you've got, in addition to the high fat red meat, you've got whole fat dairy and butter. And then think about things like French fries and potato chips and even a lot of those vegan desserts that you will see in the store. So that also gets lumped into the adverse food category. Meanwhile, some of the foods listed in the beneficial category were, no surprise, fruit, avocado, beans and legumes, tomatoes, whole grains, and then vegetables, interestingly, were broken into three categories. There were green vegetables, yellow vegetables, and everything else. And the database that food researchers were using is massive. 18,000 different foods in there. And those foods then are broken into 46 individual groups for the study. Now here is the conclusion verbatim that was published by the study's authors. Quote, our study shows that long-term consumption of a nutritionally rich plant-centered diet is associated with a lower risk of cardiovascular disease. Furthermore, increased plant-centered diet quality since young adulthood is associated with a lower subsequent risk of cardiovascular disease throughout middle age, independent of their earlier diet quality. So basically what they're saying is the earlier in life you begin to eat a healthy diet, the healthier you will be as you get older. But of course, that's also not to say that it's ever too late to start eating a healthier diet and taking care of yourself because that is not the case. Because we have heard stories on this very show of people who are in their 90s suddenly being able to get up out of their chair and walk a mile or more after beginning to eat a healthy plant-based diet. You make some lifestyle changes and you change what you eat and things happen for a lot of people. So keep that in mind the next time that you doubt yourself or someone tells you that they're too set in their ways to change. They can never change at this point in their life. It is never, ever too late. And you can dive into the nitty gritty of the numbers if you would like. There is a link to the full study right now in the episode notes. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. 
Don't forget to register for Dr. Rahman's weight loss program. A link to that is also in the episode notes, along with information to schedule an appointment to visit with her and the other doctors and dietitians at the Barnard Medical Center. So make today the day you get your health back on track. And thank you once again to Dr. Rahman for being here with us today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>